Awesome. <clears throat> well, here we are, another week in Perth, Western Australia. We're in the middle of a crazy storm. And, uh, but interestingly, as Andrew checked on the radar this morning, there was this a circle of storm freeness like right above us. And literally then as the radar moved down, that storm free patch stayed. So like, so the rain came and kind of went around it. So really weird. So thank you, Jesus, for, uh, for watching over us, as you do for all your children. But um, yeah, so here we are. Um, awesome. We are, I'm carrying on uh, teaching a bit more into Isaiah uh, 58. Um, and we're doing, I've kind of covered the whole uh, chapter, but uh, Rachel shared last week outlining our um, intention to fast as a community uh, in the week leading up to Pentecost Sunday. So starting tomorrow, Monday, we're going to go through a, a weekly fast um, and uh, we're going to have different kind of focuses. I'll touch on that at the end, but uh, just felt like, uh, yeah, leading up to that. So uh, our, our leadership team, our senior leadership team and our core leadership team have all been going through that fast in this last week kind of preparing us, for, so we had a fast to prepare us for the fast, um, uh, leading into it, and uh, it's been, been great, but uh, maybe a different, slightly different intentionality in what we feel like God is wanting us to do, and that is uh, focusing on Isaiah 58, where it talks about um, the fast that God desires, and, and really um, is, a, is a time of allowing the Lord, allowing His desires to reveal our desires, and fasting is always, um, you know, it, it does that. Fasting exposes and reveals us, and that's okay. Uh, I shared a bit last night uh, with our team that um, you know, fasting's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to reveal things. It's supposed to be hard. Like, that's kind of the point of it. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm yet to meet someone who loves fasting. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'd do to them if I met them, but... Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, I'd give them a hug and stuff, and uh, so help me. Um, but uh, as we'll see, even in uh, in some of the um, uh, the words that God says about fasting, it, it talks about you quarrel and fight with others and strike them with an angry fist. I'm like, yeah, I, f I feel like that sometimes when I fast. So I understand. I relate to the people in Isaiah's time. Um, but we're going to start, and I'm just going to read out um, sections of. Uh, Isaiah 58, uh, we are, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, I also have it here uh, in the ESV, um, and again, I, I love the Passion Translation, and I love uh, the ESV Translation, um, you know, both of them are, are good coming from, you know, uh, different uh, translation techniques to get there, but uh, I love reading the Passion Translation, having already studied and, and known and in the ESV. Uh, so a more, it's, the, it's more of an essentially literal translation, and then having the passion kind of uh, bringing out uh, certain elements uh, from that is, is really, really beneficial. So here we go, Isaiah 58, verse 1. It says, shout it loud and clear, don't hold back. Let your voice be like a trumpet blast. Declare to my people their rebellion and to Jacob's tribes their sin. So the beginning of this section of, of Scripture is really a, uh, it's a, it's a clarion call. 
it's a, it's a declaration, a loud uh, voice that the Lord wants to be heard uh, amongst His people, and, and it's something we're wanting to do. Again, you could, we could have just taught on Isaiah 58 on one Sunday and said loud and clear, but we feel like in order for it to really be heard, sometimes we need to set apart the time and the intentionality for it to uh, be heard to the degree that the Lord wants it to be heard. So again, to tie this in with a, with a fasting week and really a focused time on uh, particular sections of this scripture, that's part of it uh, being heard loud and clear. The, if the Lord is shouting something loud and clear, it's no good to us if we're not listening so we can, we can hear it loud and clear. So again, if you're wondering, well, why do we need to fasten it? Because we want to take it seriously when the Lord says, I'm shouting something to you and it needs to be heard loud and clear by you in order for it to achieve its purpose. But he goes on about the people um, that Isaiah is speaking to. It says, yes, daily they seem to seek me, pretending that they delight to know my ways, as though they were a nation that does what is right and had not rejected the law of their God. They ask me to show them the right way, acting as though they are eager to be close to me. So again, daily they seek me. This is a, a, a disciplined people from the outside. You would look at them and you say, wow, they're, they're, they're really steadfast in, in desiring to, uh, to pursue the Lord and, and, and delighting in Him and all of those things and, and really is, is, is wanting to, to do what is right. But if you say, read here, it says, pretending that they delight to know my ways as though they're a nation that does what is right and has not rejected the law of their God. So the ways of God and the law of God, the way that the Lord would want things to be worked out. So this people there that are saying, oh, we love you, God, and you're awesome, and you're amazing, you're great. And the, the accusation against them from God is that, well, you say those things, but when it comes to walking in my ways, I'm not seeing the alignment between Yes, God, and acting it out in your life. I'm not seeing the manifestation of what you say your intentionality is. They ask me to show them the right way, acting as though they are eager to be close to me. To love God is to always love His ways. Love always has action connected to it. So we could say, God, I love you, and the Lord would say, show me your love. That love must have a reaction to it. We, we talk about when we gather corporately in worship, and, and again, we could come together and say, well, yes, I love God, and yet if I stand there kind of stoically, no expression, no emotion, uh, where's the manifestation even of the love in my heart for God? You know, love just has an action, and it's not that we all want to look like we're doing all of the actions, because you could have somebody who's doing all of the right actions, and yet their heart is far from Him because they're just kind of doing the, you know, the religious ritual, or this is what I'm expected to do, or maybe they're more extroverted uh, in their expression of things, and so it can look like they're doing that, but their heart is not in that. But what the Lord does, and, and I think He often does this, even Jesus commands that, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So there's a natural flow on from loving me and obeying my commands. It's not to say, if you obey my commands, therefore you'll love me, because uh, you could obey the commands of Jesus out of religion, uh, out of obligation, out of guilt or fear or lots of other motivations. So just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that you love Him. But if you love Him, you're going to naturally walk out the ways of God. And this is what the Lord is, is bringing before the people that Isaiah is confronting here. They say, why is it that when we fasted, you did not see it? 
We starved ourselves and you didn't seem to notice. I wonder if you ever feel this way when it comes to the Lord. But God, I've done all the right things. I've I've read my Bible every day and I've prayed and I've been a good person and I haven't sped on the roads and I, you know, I pay my taxes and and I tithe and I do all of the things that you're asking me to do. And it seems as though you're not even listening to me. It's like you don't even notice. And it says, well, because on the day you fasted, you were seeking only your own desires and you continue to exploit your workers. So God's saying, well, I know you did the right thing, but on that time you were just seeking your own desires in that. You were almost bargaining with me to try and get what you want that your fast wasn't about manifesting my heart, my ways to the people around you and seeing me manifest in your world. It was about you getting something from me. And you continue then to live in a way that doesn't align with my heart and my desires for how you would live and act. On the day that you fasted, you were seeking only your own desires. This is such a... um, sometimes a hard thing to discern for us when we think we're doing something for God, but really when we look at it closely, we're doing something for us. And I don't know what it is to live completely abandoned to self and completely selfless in my life. I think we often do things um, for the reward, Uh, and it's hard because God does reward us as well. Relationships, there's a reward in relationships sometimes, but the heart of God doesn't look for the reward in what you do in your action. The reward is in the intent of the action. To love somebody, to love my neighbor, to love my enemies, as Jesus would call me to, for me to love my enemy, the reward is in the fact that I get to love my enemy. It's not that then they would respond positively and stop being mean to me or stop being my enemy. That's not the outcome of loving your enemies. That's what you would hope and and long for and and pray for and that would be a desire. But the blessing of loving your enemies is, is that I'm so filled with love and so free from the impact of other people that I get to freely love even those who would be my enemies. Because that's the freedom love that God loves with. God loves not expecting a reward from people. Otherwise, well, God would surely choose who he loves and who he doesn't love. And yet the Bible clearly states that God loves the world. He loves all of his creation. And he loves not based upon who will respond or who has responded or how they treat him back. God loves because he is love. And the reward for us, the ultimate reward of love is love itself that we get to be like him, we get to experience that depth of fellowship of this is what it's like to be like him and to love like him. We can seek healing for our own benefit. We can pursue God for our own benefit. We can, we can worship and sing and praise and tithe and do all of those good things for our own benefit. But God's saying that's not, that's not what I'm desiring from you. 
because you won't get the manifestation. You'll get what you want, but God won't get what he wants. And yet surely that's the intent of our fast, is that we would yield ourselves unto him, that he would do what he desires through us and in us and to others. So it says, the day that you fasted, you're seeking only your own desires, and you continue to exploit your workers. Their desire to love God didn't flow through into a desire to love other people. So he's saying, I see that you love me, and this is again echoed throughout Scripture. It's like, if you love me, you will love those around you. There's a natural flow to be filled with the love of God, to love him in the way that he deserves and he desires, is to also then love the ones that he loves. God feels loved when we love those he loves. How can I love you more, God? Love those I love, and I'll feel loved from you. And it goes on to say, during your fasts, you quarrel and fight with others and strike them with an angry fist. When you fast like that, your voice will not be heard on high. As I said before, I understand what it feels like when you're during a fast, you feel like quarreling and fighting with people and striking them with that angry fist. Uh, look, that's just me being real and honest. And I know none of you would ever, you know, get a little bit, you know, edgy when you're going without food. So I know it's just me. I'm just, you know. But, uh, you know, if there's, there might be one of you watching who's just like, oh, that's me. And uh, so you can feel some sense of, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm not... I'm, but you know what I mean. You know, if, if it exposes your heart. When you're in the midst of that place, your heart gets exposed. I mean, and it shows our, our, how much we rely on food, particularly again in, in, in Western culture. Food is a, is a luxury, food is a, an experience, food is all of these wonderful and good things. But for a lot of people in the world, the majority of the world, food is a necessity. Food is not always available, um, but food is something that's like, this fills my body so that I survive, which again is the primary intent of food. Uh, we have the, the luxury of, of experience and enjoying food, uh, but ultimately food is, is fuel for your body uh, to, to keep you going. So again, what it exposes when we fast from food, or really fast from anything, it exposes our reliance upon that thing, which again is a good thing for us. If you go through a, a, a day of fasting and you don't uh, feel that sense of this is difficult, this is a little bit hard for me to endure, um, either you're, I, I, for me, it's like it's, that would be a totally normal thing to feel like I'm, I'm really hungry, but what it's exposing is my reliance. And that's a good thing because then I get to deal with why am I so reliant on that for comfort, for, for enjoyment, and, uh, and not finding that in you, Jesus. Their, their hearts are being exposed in their fast. But he says, do you think I'm impressed with that kind of fast? Is it just a day to starve your bodies, to make others think that you're humble, and to lie down in sackcloth and ashes? He says, is it just a day for, for self kind of discipline or, or flagellation, just for beating yourself down? Or is it, is it to make other people think, oh, wow, look how spiritual and humble and amazing that person is? Or is it just for you to lie down in self-pity and, and loathing and, oh, I'm so hungry, Lord, pity me. But he says, do you call that a fast? Do you think I, Yahweh, will be pleased with that? Do you think all of this self-focused production that you're putting on is going to fill me with joy and delight. 
but he goes on to talk about worshiping God in truth. And that is what a fast is. It's an act of worship. It is a spiritual discipline that we would do to worship the Lord. But it says, this is the kind of fast that I desire, to remove the heavy chains of oppression, to stop exploiting your workers, to set free the crushed and mistreated, and to break off every yoke of bondage. Now again, uh, in these passages, it's, it's again using language that we might not be familiar with or, or circumstances that aren't normal for us. So there might not be, you know, living right around you, people in, you know, serious amounts of oppression, or you might not have workers for you to even exploit. Um, you might not, well, where are the crushed and the mistreated around me? You know, I live in, I live in Perth, Western Australia, like this is, this is, there's none of that stuff that I'm seeing amongst me. You know, what, what, there aren't people in, in slavery chained up and, you know, a yoke of bondage that needs to be broken off from people. But there is some form of expression of those realities in your life. You just have to look for it. And again, the point of what we're going to focus on during this week, uh, and we're going to be posting things on our private group, but also on our public page so anyone could follow along with us if you desire. Um, but it's to look at, well, Lord, what, in what ways are these realities existent in my life? In what ways do I relate and connect with them? Well, Lord, what does it look like in my context for someone to be under the heavy chains of oppression? Well, what about addiction? Addiction of any form is a form of oppression, self-oppression sometimes. Uh, maybe you know of a, of a relationship where there's you know, unhealthy treatment, you know, domestic violence, something like that. Maybe a, a, a child who's in a situation where there's neglect or abuse. The exploitation of workers. We probably all need to look at where we buy our clothing from, where we buy certain foods from that come from other countries, where the processes are, are exploiting people in other nations. But we turn a blind eye because I don't, well, it's not, they're not in my backyard, you know, sewing my T-shirt. So we don't see it, so we don't act upon it. But do you have a part to play? Can you influence and impact that and walk in righteousness in those areas? Absolutely you can. But what it's going to take is an intentionality. It's going to take a focus and a searching out to say, well, Lord, if this is what you desire, it's not, well, if I happen to come across it, then maybe I'll do something about it. It's, Lord, well, show me where it is so I can be a part of releasing the reality of your kingdom in those places. For some, it might be, well, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to move to another country where exploitation of workers exists and I'm going to be on the ground doing that. Or maybe it's that you find a, 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 um, a group that is already doing that work and you say, well, we're going to invest financially into them to, to bless them. Or I'm going to choose differently how I shop and, uh, and because I know that there, there's ethical companies there that aren't going to exploit workers in another nation. You know, it talks about, you know, releasing heavy chains of oppression, but uh, and in some translation, it talks about that yoke, like releasing people from that yoke of bondage, that yoke of slavery. And so that was, again, the yoke was a, a timber beam that would be across oxen and they'd be chained to it. And that's what would keep them, you know, when they're working on the fields. But it's, it's used as well then of people being under this yoke. But um, in the ESV, it talks about the removal of the yoke and then the breaking of the yoke. 
So there is also a work where it's not just like setting people free momentarily, but how do we actually destroy those bonds of oppression so they don't exist anymore in our time? that they don't exist anymore in, in our history moving forward, that there are things that are happening. You know, there's slavery that exists today. There is, a, there is a massive slave trade. Well, what can we do? What could I do as an individual living where I am with the resources that I have? What could I do to be part of releasing people from bondage and actually breaking those patterns? So as we work through these passages during the week, we want to be asking ourselves, how does God's desire manifest in my sphere of influence? What does that look like to me? What do do these verses look like in our modern context? And what can I do to be part of releasing people? It talks about sharing, it goes on, verse seven, share your food with the hungry, provide for the homeless, bring them into your home, clothe the naked. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. So, well, I, where I live, I don't see homeless people around. I can, I can assure you that they're there. So, again, the Lord's saying, he's not saying just, oh, well, if you happen to come across it, maybe you need to go and find it. Maybe we need to be searching out and say, well, Lord, if this is your heart, then give me that heart of yours and show me, Lord, where, in the same way that a fast is going without something in order that benefit might come, Lord, what can I go without that somebody else might benefit? If you want to fast food for a day, what can you do with that food that's in your pantry, the abundance of food that a lot of us live with? What meal could you cook up and deliver to somebody? I know in our own region, there is, there is countless homeless people. There's great um, ministries that are working with the homeless, even Christian groups that are doing that. Well, how can we serve and support and be present in that? Now, again, when it comes to, you know, to homelessness, uh, there is this huge... Tens of thousands of people in our city that are homeless every day. Oftentimes, they're sleeping on people's couches. They're sleeping in their cars. They're not all in a, you know, in a stereotypical kind of cardboard box on the side of the road. Uh, but they're there, and they don't have homes, and they don't have safe places for themselves. And now, again, we've got to look at, well, what, what do I have to offer people? And you might not have, uh, you know, a, a spare room in your house. Or you might not be in a context. I know uh, previously, uh, our old house, we lived in a three-by-one house. It was quite small, family of five in a three-by-one. There's not a lot of space um, in that place. Uh, but in that time, you know, all we really had to offer was our front yard. And so we had, we used to have people sometimes just sleeping in our front yard in their car because it was safer than, you know, being in a car park somewhere around and where they'd get moved on constantly and, and harassed by people and it'd be dangerous. But that's what we had to offer. And we could make them food and they could shower in our bathroom, but we didn't have space in our home and we also had very young children. And, you know, there are times where people who are in a homeless situation because of mental health and it's not always safe. But so again, we're not just saying, oh, we'll just throw off and just live with complete abandon and and safety and put your family in danger or yourself in danger. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying there are creative and strategic ways that in your context, in your circumstance, you can provide and bless for those who are less fortunate than you. And it goes on to say, if you do these things, so essentially if you release people from oppression and if you provide for people's needs, says verse 8, then my favor will bathe you in sunlight until you are like the dawn bursting through a dark night. So God says, if you do these things, then this is what's gonna come about. 
Rachel outlined last week um, the, you know, the uh, action and then the blessing or the promise that comes from that. You need to know, and this might shock you, but God rewards behavior. Hold on a second. Hold on, Brad. You're saying that if I do good things, God's going to reward me. Is it, you know, don't you, you preach about like not being performance oriented and all of those sorts of things? I'm not talking about performing for God. Okay. God doesn't reward your behavior when it comes to salvation. You are saved because of his work. There's nothing you can do. You can't repay God for your salvation. You, there is nothing. He didn't look upon you and go, hmm, you are worth saving, so I'm going to save you because of what you've done. He says, no, you are worth saving because you're my child, made in my image, and I've declared you will be saved. When we're in the midst of our unrighteousness, when we are rebellious and, and, and wayward, the Lord says, I choose you. God shows his love for us for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8, it's, it's amazing, miraculous. So there is nothing in your behavior that warrants and is rewarded with salvation. God doesn't reward behavior when it comes to your identity. So if you behave well, God doesn't go, okay, well, now, you're, now this is your identity. Now, your identity is fixed and is declared by the Lord. We are wanting to manifest our new creation identity. We don't fully walk in our new creation identity when we're saved but God is wanting to work out that salvation so that that inward reality of who we are in Christ, he's wanting to see that, and that's part of the sanctification journey that we are all on. But he doesn't reward us with identity if we behave well. Well, I did a bad thing today, so now I'm a bad person, but I did good today, so I'm a good person. Not at all. You are righteous because of Christ. <laughs> you are righteousness because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus in you. That's your identity. So then I say, I'm going to walk in righteousness because God has made me righteous. So it makes complete sense for me to walk in righteousness. Now, when I walk in unrighteousness, then I'm confronted to say, that's not who I am anymore. That's not my new creation identity. So I'm going to walk in a different way because that's not who I am. But God doesn't reward your, he doesn't change your identity. He doesn't change how he views you based upon your behavior. But God absolutely rewards your behavior when it comes to blessing and favor. The fruit of your obedience is there is blessing attached to that. And the Bible talks all about uh, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in the seeking of God, there is a reward that comes from him. It is the reward of him. We find him. That's a good reward. Because again, on the flip side, we say, well, if he, he, he rewards those, and then does, but does he punish those who don't? Not at all. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to, to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because then you can be a son of your Father. So you can reflect the nature of the Father. That's what sons do. They carry on the legacy of the Father. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God then doesn't. He also is so good and he loves so much that he actually pours out blessing on everybody. He gives breath to everybody. He, he makes it rain on the, the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. He loves those who love him and he loves those who hate him because he is so good. 
So again, we're not saying, well, if I, if I, if I mess up somehow, then God's gonna punish me. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you diligently do and you obey him, there is a blessing attached to that. And there is a blessing that's inherent in the way that his kingdom is operated. So again, what we don't want to do is then look and say, what do I need to do to behave in the right way in order to get the blessing from God? Okay, but it's really then a blessing that's associated with his kingdom laws. We want to have and know that, well, God, this is what he's accusing the, you know, the people of. It's like, you kind of, you, you, you say you're doing these things, but you're actually not manifesting my heart. So what we want to be is a people who say, God, I, I love you and I desire you and I want you. And because I love you, I want to obey you, Lord. Show me your ways. And then I walk in his ways. And then he pours out blessing and the promises over my life. Does that make sense? Someone in the room say amen. 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 Okay, good. So it goes on. So you're, then my favor will bathe you in sunlight until you are like the dawn bursting forth through a dark night. Then suddenly your healing will manifest. You will see your righteousness march out before you and the glory of Yahweh will protect you from all harm. Again, this is one of those things where we think, well, God's just gonna do it. Well, there's things that he won't do unless we do, unless we act. Because he's just like that. He's, he's interactive in how he relates to his people, in how he relates to us. You know, we can talk about grace as this kind of uh, static, you know, just overlooking of things. Whereas I understand grace as being his empowering presence. And again, the scripture that says, you know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is merited by your position. Grace isn't merited, well, if I, you know, if I, if I sin and I struggle, oh, then there's grace to cover my sin, but then I've got to strive in my own effort uh, to do the right thing. But God says, look, if you're, if you're proud, I'm gonna stand against you. But if you humble yourself, I'm gonna reward your humility with my empowering presence. So all those things that you want to do and you're striving in self-righteousness, in pride to accomplish, if you just yield and come before the Lord in humility and say, God, I can't do it, but I know you can. Give me your grace. Then he empowers us to do all that he has for us. And this again, this is the heart of God is that, he would, that we would be interactive, that we would desire to manifest his heart to the world through his ways, not just by saying, well, I love God, and that's kind of all that really needs to happen. No, that, that loving of him will manifest in the loving of other people and the walking in his ways. So, so you'll see that your righteousness march out before you, and the, and the glory of Yahweh will protect you from all harm. I know in the ESV it talks about the, the glory will be like your rear guard. The glory of Yahweh will protect you from all harm. Then Yahweh will answer you when you pray. When you cry out for help, he will say, I am here. If you banish every form of oppression, the scornful accusations and vicious slander. If you want your prayers to be heard and for the Lord to answer them, you need to let go of oppression. Every form of oppression, scornful accusation and vicious slander. It's full on. When you cry for help, the God, God will say, I'm here. 
maybe God isn't answering your prayer because you're stuck in a cycle of vicious slander, scornful accusation, and the oppression of other people. We need to be okay with, with the confrontation of these realities and not just push them away or oh, there's too much to handle. Maybe it's a reality and it's the grace of God, it's the, it's the mercy of God that he would actually present that to you. Not to shame you, not to crush you, but to reveal you, to give you the opportunity for repentance. And repentance is the joyful, most wondrous, amazing thing. Because repentance is the changing of your whole way of thinking coming into a new realization, and then freedom gets to come out in your life. Repentance is good. It says, and if you offer yourself in compassion for the hungry and relieve those in ministry, then your dawning light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will turn into noonday splendor. Yahweh will always guide you where to go and what to do. He will fill you with refreshment even when you are in a dry, difficult place. He will continually restore strength to you so you will flourish like a well-watered garden and like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessing. Again, this is where I really struggle with, um, with grace being explained in a way that is um, almost, well, you don't need to do anything because God will just give you his grace. It's, I just don't, I don't find that backed up in Scripture. We call grace unmerited favor, which is a, a translation of the word. It's not, it's not necessarily what the word means. This is what we've translated. The Amplified Bible will use that. And again, it's, well, it's not, it's, it, we, we don't deserve the grace of God, but we access the grace of God by how we position our hearts. So it is, it is merited to say, you're, you're in humility, here's my grace. You're in pride, here's my oppression, my opposition to you. Not a, probably not oppression is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> God is, he, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud, opposition, the humble, grace, empowering presence. And they're, they're, you, know, you imagine the opposites of that. What is the opposite of God opposing you is God empowering you. But it's all here. And so then we can, what happens is when we view grace in the wrong way, then we just kind of sit around waiting and hoping that God's going to do something. When God's sitting around waiting and hoping that you're going to do something. It's like you're both sitting in the waiting room. <laughs> waiting... When's he going to come out and take my appointment? God's waiting. There'll be areas in your life where God is waiting for you, and he is patiently waiting, and he has been patiently waiting for a very, very long time. He's patiently waiting for you to make that decision. He's patiently waiting for you to confess that sin. He's patiently waiting for you to come in humility and ask others to help you or to seek some ministry, to break that oppression, that addiction, whatever it might be. God is waiting you to finally take hold of that word that he's asked you to obey and to go out and do that thing that he's called you to do. Maybe to step out in faith. And there's a reward for those who diligently seek him. And not just seek him, but seek to live out his ways. 
It says, your people will, re will rebuild long deserted ruins, building anew on foundations laid long before you. You will be known as repairers of the cities and restorers of communities. This has been a word from Isaiah 58 from, uh, so it was um, six months into our church, I, I received a baptism of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and that following week, um, I was meditating on Isaiah 58 and, and some of these were the words and, and uh, I took seriously in that first kind of couple of years of our, of our church community where I would just look for any opportunity to serve the broken in our community and so we, we served in, in different organizations but I would um, and you know people would just call me up and because I was present I would just spend time in the community and I, I mowed people's lawns like I remember whippers, the whippersnipper if you're in America, a weed whacker, um, you know, going through, and the lawn was like this high and going through, and they had a dog, and the, they didn't know where the dog was, so I was like cutting this lawn, trying not to um, hit their dog. But, uh, yeah, and I just spend hours in my day just like mowing people's lawns and just serving people in this kind of way and, and taking food to people, just doing all those sorts of things, because I'm like, well, Lord, this is what you're calling us to do. And there's not, you don't see the reward in that often. There's a blessing of, wow, we get, to, we get to do this, but, you know, I remember, yeah, sitting in, in the homes, I remember ministering to some guys, and they were squatting in a house, it wasn't their house, they were there, so there was no electricity, and I was there at night time, and uh, it was like super um, scary. I had peace, but it was like, you know, this had, one of the guys had schizophrenia, and like, the other had, was actually, was sharing with me, um, you know, why he spent 25 years in prison, and, um, you know, for murder, and, and he's sharing that story in tears, and, uh, and, and saying, you know, I've, I've, I've only shared this with a few people, and I'm like, okay, it's good, I'm thinking to myself, please don't hurt me, um, but you know, I just put myself in those situations, stupidly maybe, don't tell my wife, um, <laughs> because I just wanted, well, Lord, this is who you've called us to serve, this is the city that we're in, and, and, uh, and that we would just love and, and bless these people, and, uh, there's many, many stories of just costing ourselves for the sake of other people. Um, but it's the heart of God to do that. It's the heart of God to minister to people. And, and we had people betray us, like big time betray us, steal from us, um, all sorts of things like that. And, and that was, you know, I, I'd still remember the day when, when someone had stolen something from someone in our community and, and we'd given them a place to stay. And, and, um, and I knew at that point where I had to make a decision, I felt like God gave me the, the ultimatum. It's like, you can, you can choose to shut off your heart to these people, or you can choose to stay open and live in the pain of what it is to, to work with broken people. And uh, I'm thankful that he gave me the grace to choose to stay uh, with it and to keep my heart open. But that is the cost of, of loving the broken. Um, but the Lord's desire is to rebuild ancient ruins, to restore communities, to repair cities, that's his apostolic call upon his people. Um, and this, so this verse really stood out to me and, and, uh, and these, this passage of scripture and we would, I'll just keep doing that and you'd look and you go, why are we doing this? Why are we pouring out all this resource on a people who don't appreciate it? Um, I'd get random calls from people who had ghosts in their house, uh, people who I didn't even know and we'd go and do, yeah, like do some ghost busting and they just had demons live in their house. And so I had a real estate agent call me up once I had a, a, someone from the West Australian who'd heard, been talking to this person, totally random, like, God things, and they're like, so, 
we heard that you can do this. I'm like, I don't know where you heard that from, but anyway, it was, it was it's good fun. Um, I'm waffling on. But this is then, so then we had, it was two years into our church community where we received a significant word from uh, a guy called Bob Hazlett and it talked about, he, he ended this long prophetic word uh, with this passage where, you know, you will restore the streets to dwell in, uh, you know, you're repairing the breach, all of this sort of stuff. And it was like, wow, it, it just kind of hit me and, and it's a confirmation of, uh, of what the Lord was saying. But we just believe that's a real promise for our church community. And again, I don't believe that every church should look exactly the same. I think there's kingdom principles that we should all be valuing and, uh, and desiring. There, is, there, is, you know, there are certain things that are um, prescriptive elements to the church. And then there are descriptive elements that God would say, but for you, this family here, you're going to have a particular work in what you do. And so, uh, again, as we are an apostolic people connected across a city that God would partner us all together, the churches in unity to be fulfilling all of those things, to be serving amongst one another in that, that is my heart. Um, but there's something where God would call us to be a repairer and a restorer for cities and for our nation, for communities that we live amongst. And so, again, this is why we're taking it seriously. Well, Lord, whatever you want to do, we want to be part of it, Lord. But we don't just want to be a people that get together and say that we love you. We want to walk in your ways. So show us how to walk in your ways. And it goes on, verse 13. If you stop pursuing your own desires on my holy day and refrain from disregarding the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delightful pleasure and Yahweh's holy day honorable, if you honor it properly by not chasing your own desires, serving your own interests and speaking empty words. Now again, this is something and we've touched on it before and Rachel mentioned it last week, but if you, when we have a Sabbath day, that's not a day where we rest from work to then meet our own desires and needs. That's a day where we get to stop working so that we can delight in the Lord. Now, we can delight in the Lord with our family and, uh, and with our friends, but the intention isn't to then just go, ah, oh, cool, I get just freedom from having to any responsibility and I'm just going to go and, you know, eat and drink and be merry and, and those sorts of things. Now, again, we, it's, I'm not saying don't do that or, you know, lock yourself in a room and, and, and just, you know, pray, but uh, unless you feel the Lord telling you to do that. But, but it's, not, it's not meant to be stopping work for your sake. It's stopping work for God's sake. That's the role of the Sabbath in our life, is that we would have a day where we would just be free from the responsibilities of work, that we can just be with Him, delight in Him, delight in the simplicity of our uh, relationship and union with Him. So, yeah. And it says, if you do that, then you will find joyous bliss. Who wants joyous bliss in God? Amen. That comes from serving Yahweh. And I will cause you to prosper and be carried triumphantly over the high places of the land. You will enjoy the heritage of Jacob, your ancestor. Certainly the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. You know, I, I just want to go back quickly because I forgot something in verse 12 where it talks about, the, you know, um, you will rebuild long deserted ruins, building a new one, foundations laid long before you. You know, in most of our cities, there is a Christian heritage 
Uh, there's works that have been done for many, many years, and there's foundations that have been laid. Now, again, some foundations aren't meant to be built upon, uh, but there are foundations that we are uh, living in the legacy of what others have laid, and we just honor those who have gone before us, um, you know, plowing the way, doing the work of intercession, dealing with, you know, the territorial um, principalities and powers. And, uh, and again, that's what our heart is to, um, is not just to look and say, well, we've got all the answers and we're doing something new. We're doing something very old. Um, I don't want to do something new. I want to do something very, very old. <laughs> I want to do what God has had in plan since before the foundation of the world. That's really, really, really old. Okay, it's really old plans that God has had and say, God, would you fulfill your very, very old plans in the day that we are living in today, that we'd be part of that. And God knows that even though his plans are really, really old, they're super up to date with what is needed in this generation. And so we, again, we're building on a foundation of those who have gone before us and the legacy and we're building on ancient plans that the Lord has established for this time this season, in this region, in this nation, in this time in history. So, so again, this whole um, kind of passage of Scripture and really what we want to focus on is not so much on the food fasting side, but on, on uh, meditating on these realities and allowing the Lord to pierce our heart and say, God, where am I lacking in not walking in your ways, in reflecting your heart? You know, there is a reward of blessing for obedience, but the greatest reward of our obedience is that we would obey the one we love and fulfill his desires. That's the greatest reward of obedience. And again, I, I encourage people when they're learning to hear from God, and if you're driving down the road and God says, turn left, and you think, oh, God, yes, I'll turn left, and what's, what am I looking for, Lord? And we're looking for the outcome of our obedience. Because we think, well, he, he must have told me to turn left because there's, you know, a car crash and someone I can pray for or, you know, there's some, there's some sign that is going to show me. And, and yet the, the fruit of that, the reward of that is, is it's like, Lord, what did you want me to do when I turned left? He's like, I just wanted you to turn left. That's the reward, that you heard my voice and you responded because you love me and you're, you're excited about what I have for you. So again, the reward is that we get to love him and fulfill his desires. Whatever the outcome is of that obedience is, becomes irrelevant because I've done what you've asked, Lord, and I've delighted in serving you and you've delighted in me loving you and serving you. That's the reward is we get to, again, when we, when we are journeying closer and closer in intimacy with God, then every delight of his heart becomes a delight of our heart. You know, that his delight would be so abundant that it would spill out because he's in us he would spill out through us and we'd live in that joyous bliss that is promised because the holy spirit just bursting out of us and us getting awashed in his joy and his life so this week starting tomorrow we're going to be focusing on these different aspects of of the obedience of what lord is calling us to and the blessing now again um this is something where I feel like for, for many, many years, I've been trying to uh, communicate this, and I'm, I'm not sure if we're all on board with it, but what I want you to know is that um, the, the church as an organization, uh, the, the leadership of the church as, as people to, that God has given to govern it, it's not their role to facilitate your obedience. 
It's not their role to create a context for you to obey these things that God is asking of you. There might be instances where God says, hey, I want you to facilitate something. Um, so again, God has, has laid this plan for a transformation center. We're saying, yes, Lord, we'll, we'll obey that. God has given us the land for that. He's given us the resources for that. He's given us the people for that and the vision for that. And there'll be opportunity where we can come in and serve and be a part of that. But it doesn't then put on the blinders on our eyes to say, well, oh, well I'll just wait for the transformation center before I minister to the broken. Well, well I, you know, this church doesn't, you know, doesn't minister to the homeless, so I can't minister to the homeless. Yes, she can. Go drive around at nighttime in Rockingham. If you live local to here, in Mandra, wherever you are, you'll find people that you could take some hot meals and just hand them out. You can find local organizations in your area that, that minister to homeless people. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel or cover every area. Where The Lord wants to empower you to go and do those things. The Lord wants to empower you. So please don't wait around for me or someone else to start up a ministry setting people free from the oppression of, of the slave trade. You find a way. You be obedient to God. Don't, don't lean on my obedience because he's calling you to be obedient. Don't lean, don't live through someone else's legacy. Don't live through someone else's obedience. Don't live by someone else's faith. But let these words confront you as you meditate on it, let it confront you. Let it go, Jesus, I'm not, I don't care for the poor. Let, if that's in your heart, let those words come out of your mouth and say, Jesus, I don't care for the poor. I'm selfish. I, I, I hoard my money. I only wanna bless me. I don't care about anybody else. If that's in your heart, let it come out of your mouth. Tell someone, tell the Lord, because there is freedom in that confession to say, this is my reality, Lord. And I know you called me to, and that's your heart. I don't have your heart in that area. And so I can do that. I can own it then. Say, yeah, you know what? I don't want to fast, Jesus. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy with the little bit of you that I've got. I don't want more of you, Lord. If it's in your heart, let it come out of your mouth because God hears it. God sees it. He already knows your heart. So there's no point you can't hide from him. But in the acknowledgement of, in coming out of the denial that you're living in, then God has an opportunity to work. It's like, finally, you've said it. Finally, the words have come out of your mouth that I've heard blasting from your heart for so long. But now that you've realized it, now that you've owned it, and now that you've humbly come before me and said, God, change my heart. Give me a heart for the poor. Give me your heart for people, Lord. Change my heart and, and minister my heart and heal my heart and set me free from the, the oppression of my own selfishness. Deliver me from the evil that I walk in every single day as I care only for my desires. And I, don't, I, don't, I, I bypass those things. I don't even look at them. I don't look at the way that I'm impacting those around me. I don't look at the way that I'm impacting my children or I'm impacting my spouse or I'm impacting my friendships with my selfishness or my pride or whatever it might be. I'm gonna pray. Father, we pray that you would come with your spirit of truth, and you would break that spirit of denial, Lord, that we've been living under God, that even this word, Lord, would pierce through, would pierce through the shield of denial, God. 
the shield of denial, Lord. We only want to live by the shield of faith, God. But Lord, we don't want to live with a shield of denial, God. We want to stop the fiery arrows of the enemy, Lord. But we do not want to stop the piercing truth of your word, Lord, that would pierce deep to the intentions of our heart, God, and reveal us and expose us, Lord. Every wretched place would be laid before you, God. And we would stop living the lie, God. We'd stop living in denial, Jesus, and we'd come before you and go, God, I am disgusting on the inside, Lord. I don't even want to look at my own heart. I'm afraid to see what's in there, Lord, because it's so bad, and I'm so ashamed of who I really am on the inside, Lord, and I'm trying to prop myself up with all this good behavior and this good words, Lord, but you know what's going on the inside, Lord, and it's not good. I don't want to hide from myself anymore. I don't want to hide from people anymore. I don't want to hide from you anymore, Jesus. Because you are walking in the garden, you are calling out my name, and I'm here busy trying to sow fig leaves over my nakedness, Lord, because I'm ashamed. But you want to cover me, Jesus. You want to you deal with that shame, Lord. You want to expose those areas, Lord. Not because you want to parade us before people and, and mock us and scorn us, Lord, but because you know that is not who you desire us to be. It's not who you've made us to be, God. And we have trapped unrighteousness in us, Lord, by our denial. We have trapped, we're holding on to these things rather than releasing it and saying, God, heal me, Lord. Change my heart. Make me more like your son. I, wanna, I don't just want to say all of the things, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm pursuing you, when my heart is like, no, I'm not. I'm hiding away. But you would come, Holy Spirit, with your righteous hammer, and you would smash through, Lord, those shields of denial. Smash through those shields of denial, Lord. Expose our hearts, Lord. And you would come like a good and faithful, loving Father, you would come with a precision scalpel of a surgeon, Lord, and you would do a work in our hearts this week, Lord. You would do a work in our heart this week, Jesus. And we would allow ourselves to be laid flat on the operating table and say, have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Because your way is better than my way, Jesus because my way is not working for me, God. It's not working for me anymore. Thank you, Jesus. So we are going to dwell, worship, allow the Lord to expose and reveal our hearts this week. So you need to give your yes to this, and if you have a no in your heart, um, I would rather you be real about your no and not participate, then feign agreement with what God is wanting to do here. Again, if it's like, oh, well, I guess I'll do it because you're telling me to, Brad. Don't, please don't do it. If you, if you believe this is not from the Lord, then please don't do it because <laughs> there's no benefit for anybody. But if you're like, God, I don't, you know, sometimes we have that thing, it's like, oh, well, I guess I have to do it because the leaders are telling me to but your heart's saying, I don't want to do it. That's truth. The truth is, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and you're making me do something I don't want to do. Well, we're not making you. So we release all making, all obligation. You are totally free. No expectation upon you to do anything. You are totally free. 
We feel like this is what God's saying, so you please take that and you, and you take that before the Lord and say, Jesus, is this what you're saying? And if he says yes, then you get to say no to God. And then when you say no to God, then you can deal with your, the relational consequences of that. Rather than saying yes to me or yes to leadership, whatever it might be, and really on the inside, then you're kind of gritting your teeth and you're, you know, feeling obliged, I guess I have to do this because that's what we're doing and all of that, um, you know, the, the, the childish response of that. Um, just don't do that, please. Just either be in or be out and, and live with your choices that you're making a decision. Um, that's good. And I'll just put that down to any time, anything. It's like, as a, as, a, as a community, we're trying to go where God wants us to go. And I fully am aware that there's a cost to that. Oh, well, things have changed and things are different now. And why are we going in this? Why are we doing so much on this and that and whatever? And oh, now it's the prayer room. And I have to go to the prayer room now. And I have to do this. And why do we have to do this? And oh, life hub. What have to be part of a life hub? And I, you know, it's like all of that stuff is like we're not, we're not trying to oppress your life. <laughs> we're trying to steward a family well and provide opportunity for that. But I just want to encourage you, and this, wherever you're listening from, if you're in a church environment and you're, you're encouraged to do things and you don't want to do them, let your voice be heard and let your heart be confronted to say, why don't I want to do that? Oh, a fast. I don't want to fast. Why don't I want to fast, God? That, that's, that's me. I'll, I'll tell you now. I don't want to fast. I don't want to fast food. I want fast food. <laughs> but I don't want to. And that's what I'm confronted with. So yesterday, in the day, I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with the fact that, Lord, I'm not willing to give you a day. Oh, it's, that's so sad. So, I'm so, so, and again, I'm not, I live under shame, but it's like, but you feel ashamed of that. God, you gave it all for me. And I won't give you a day. I won't, I won't endure, oh, I'm hungry, the hunger pains for a day, for you, Jesus. It's sad. But I'd rather that be confronted with that reality that that's actually really what's going on in my heart. And I know in the, even in this season where, you know, the world has been kind of shut down in many ways and, and, and I'm, I'm excited for those who have been challenged in their faith because they've actually realized I don't actually have the faith that I thought I had. Actually, I was just sustained by the busyness of church activities and ministry and everything was catered for me. Someone else worshiped for me. Someone else taught the Bible for me. Someone else prayed for me. And so actually, someone else was really facilitating my whole Christian walk. And now all of a sudden, all of those things aren't as accessible to me. And I'm confronted with the reality is, I don't follow you every day, Jesus. I don't, I don't, I don't have the relationship that I thought I had. And that's okay. Because God knew all along that you were being sustained by somebody else. And he's so glad. He's like, yes, now we can start somewhere. Because we can start with your reality rather than the fantasy that you've been living in. 
So let him expose your reality. Let him expose the reality of your heart and know that you are safe with God in that. He has no desire to, to, to punish you. He has no desire to shame you. He has no desire to condemn you. He has actually established his kingdom in a way that he will not do those things. Because your shame was now to a cross. Condemnation was now to a cross. Punishment was now to a cross. But he wants real people. He wants people whose hearts are real before him. No longer living in denial. So this week we're going to provide instructions. We'll put them on our on Instagram, on our public page, and also on our private page. And, and one of our uh, senior leadership team will just be adding kind of elements to that, praying for you at the end of the day, probably around seven o'clock. Kind of, we'll do a little uh, live stream on that private page. Um, please, I encourage you to watch Rachel's video from last week. She goes again over um, some of how this is going to work and. Uh, be looking out for our morning posts about that, just reminders and the focus for that day. Uh, and also, uh, we're going to do Saturday. So this coming Saturday will be a Sabbath day and a, and a whole day food fast, if you're able to. Now, obviously, if you have medical conditions or if your heart says, no, I don't want to do that, listen to your heart, take your heart before the Lord and let him confront you as to why you're not willing to cost yourself for him, okay? But don't do it out of obligation, do it out of love, because if it ain't out of love, it's going to stink to the Lord and it won't achieve its purpose, because we've just, I've just spent the last hour explaining that to you, why the Lord doesn't, that's not a real good fast for you to have, so, um, yeah, was that real enough? I think it was. Um, so, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Whew, thank you, Lord. Yeah, Father, I just thank you for another opportunity uh, for me to uh, preach to myself. Um, yeah. God, I'm just so thankful, Lord, that you're, that you're revealing truth, God. It, it, will, um, it will challenge my defense mechanisms. Um, but I'm so glad that you are so faithful to bypass and break through my defense mechanisms, Lord. But Lord, you're also, you're, you're not a God who will violate my will, but you've given me a will. You wanna empower my will, Lord. And so, Father, I choose and, and we pray, Lord, that for all of us, that we would come with our will engaged, Lord, that you'd give us a grace that our will, our desire set, that deep part of us would say yes to what you're wanting to do, Lord. And we would yield to that process. We would come in humility to say, God, I, I feel like every verse in that Isaiah 58 thing, every verse of that confrontation, that's me, Lord. God's okay with you being truthful and honest because he sees past all your lies anyway. But what he wants is to come into that place, to heal, to restore to bring his truth, to tear down strongholds in your mind, to uproot foundational lies, to heal you from the bondage of slavery and oppression that you live in every day. So we thank you, Lord, that this is a good work. You're doing a good work in your people, God. You're doing a good work in your people, Jesus. We acknowledge you are good, 
that you are good to us, that you are good for us, and you are working out all things for our good, Lord. Even when things feel bad, when you're at work, goodness is gonna come out, Lord. So we thank you, Father, for fire this week, holy fire, to come and burn up the dross, Lord, burn up every place that does not belong in us anymore, Lord. You're refining fire, come Holy Spirit. I just thank you even right now, Lord, just for a deposit of that fire, Lord, in us, deep within us, Lord, and we say yes to your process. We say yes to the heat of refinement. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. And we thank you that you love us so much and you're such a good father to us. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Bless your family. Bless everyone who's watching. Um, so please stay tuned. We'll be putting all of that stuff up and uh, look forward to journeying with you and leading into uh, Pentecost Sunday, next Sunday. We're just gonna pray radical outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a preparation time. It's a preparation week uh, for that outpouring with an expectation that God is going to give us a fresh outpouring of his presence, his bliss, his joy, um, because he is that good. Uh, but he is he's gonna reward you for your seeking this week. So I bless you in Jesus' name, amen.